Welcome back to the bridge. Uh, it's been a two-week hiatus. Um, me and my my co Zach have uh, both been adapting to a little bit of a change of schedule. I'm now back part of the uh, uh, workforce, and as such, my schedule is a little more restrictive. And uh, Zach, you're you're back in your uh, language school. I think you believe you were saying. Yes, I'm back in my language school, and there's also all kinds of bullshit happening here in Germany. You're not even allowed to go outside in certain cities after 10 o'clock now. Ooh, ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah, between 10 and f 10 o'clock at night and 5 in the morning. Okay. Yeah, there's a curfew. That sucks. I, I like because you know the, the coronavirus only exists at night. <laughs> right. Like, what is? Yeah. What's the point there? Is it just the even situation if there's is, traffic? Listen, the the situation is like this, and you know we won't get political on the podcast or anything like this, but the virus is spreading in the workplace and at the schools, and I understand you can't have children out of school. And it's a it's a huge issue, and obviously, like the economy needs to continue functioning. But um, yeah, you know, saying to people you can't go out after ten o'clock is not going to change anything. It's just uh, a draconian law that uh, is going to make people's mental health worse than it already is. Right, right, and like, in my thought patterns, like if you're out at night, there's less people out at night, and like, you know. What do you, if you're out during the night? You're probably just you know going for a walk or something. Like I imagine bars aren't open or anything. No, like yeah, like all public places are closed. And even if if you want to go buy a pair of pants, right. you have to go get a coronavirus test. They have it set up so you can get a like a, a schnell test, a, a quick test, uh -huh. and it'll give you the result on the spot. But you have to, you know, book an appointment online, and you have to show up at a certain time and provide your insurance information, and it's a whole bureaucratic uh, bullshit. Okay. And just just so you can go buy pants. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize so, you know, there was such you, like you're that. walking around the city, and from from the coronavirus broke out a year ago, and everyone looks progressively just sort of worse. You know, like people. You know, I haven't got a haircut in almost a year. Ooh. Um. You know, people are wearing poor, you know, they're just wearing old clothes because it's such a hassle to go buy new clothes. This sort of thing, you know? Yeah, okay. And, I, I was just saying, like, even at night, though, I'd imagine everyone would generally be distanced from each other. It's like how you're not going anywhere particularly. You're just outside, really, I'd imagine. Well, I mean, you know, it's better to be outside, really, than inside. You're in the open air. Exactly. It's harder for the virus to travel between people, but... Uh, they just they want to it's a it's a strategy to reduce social contacts yeah i guess so you know, that's the idea but uh, um but yeah i just that's why we missed an episode there uh just readjusting and trying to figure out a better schedule a better time uh for us to get together and record <clears throat> but uh hopefully we'll be back on track now and it won't happen again but into a more regular flow right now that we've kind of gotten into the the beat of our new schedules now and let's be honest uh the beginning of april there wasn't a lot of super compelling releases anyways we didn't miss out on much no no we might we might end up doing a it depends depending on our our free time uh, another omnibus episode to catch up on a few episodes i know we didn't talk about um lana del rey uh, there was an Igloo Ghost record that I was interested in uh, in visiting. 
Um, there was uh, the album that we were supposed to talk about uh, from the Spirit of the Beehive, which could absolutely find some time there to get talked about. But we'll see if we can find the time to, to fit that into our schedule and put that in as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, an Omnibus episode will be coming down the line at some time when we don't know, but uh, there's certainly albums to be talked about. Right, right. This week, however, uh, we are going with a very popular band, uh, the well-known, enigmatic, uh, those two words are paradoxical, anyway, uh, Brockhampton. Now, well, it's funny you say they're well known because uh, I'm an idiot when it comes to rap music and pop music. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say an idiot, but a dilettante. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, ha- I was not really. I have heard of Brockhampton in very far away whisperings, but I was completely unfamiliar with the band up until recently. Okay, sure. So you, until uh, you had to listen to this album, uh, had you heard a Brockhampton song before? I had not heard a song. I had heard the band's name. I knew they existed, but I, if I did hear one of their songs, I didn't know it was a Brockhampton song. So uh, let me give get you up to speed a little bit with, with Brockhampton. Uh, they really kind of hit the scene a few years ago with their Saturation releases. They released three albums in a year, uh, Saturation 1, 2, and 3. Um, well, I mean, just to interject for a second... In the past five years, these guys have released like five or six fucking full-length LPs. Absolutely, and absolutely. And I, I kind of, I guess I'll talk about it now, as uh, uh, as I didn't listen to the last two things they released, um, Ginger and uh, their Technical Difficulties release, um, because I was fatigued on these guys, honestly. I felt that they had just released so much music in a short period of time, uh, most specifically the Saturation releases, where they had three albums in one year, and then Iridescence not long after the next year. Uh, I had heard enough Brockhampton uh, to just like you know put them away for a while. So I skipped the two the the albums that came after Iridescence, um, and this is my first return to them uh, as a collective. Because again, I was just fatigued on their sound. They just released so much music that I had, I digested that, you know, I was I was ready to put them to the side for a while. And I had a similar issue with uh, King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard when they released their like four albums in a year, which I uh, I listened to. It was like by the end of the year, you know, I I'm so fatigued on the band. Like it, I still haven't gone back and listened to a, a King Gizzard album since then, even though I, I enjoy always- them. Yeah, I mean, I'm always skeptical of artists in any medium to that, you know, release full-blown projects one after another, after another, after another. It's one thing to be prolific, but when you're releasing, uh, you know, full realized pieces of work so close to one another, I sort of begin to question whether or not, uh, I begin to question the quality. Yeah, it's when a- I. And that and that's when I approach the work, you know. Like I'm just a, a little bit skeptical. Like, you know, is this in need of some heavy editing? I mean, you've released, you've had such a wild and intense, you know, period of creation. You've created so much. Is it really all quality? Does it really all stand up next to right. each other? Um, and in the case, of, I, I I understand what you mean. And I think in the case of King Gizzard, there was definitely a few lulls in their in their album release of that year. Uh, 
I think the reason why I think Brockhampton was kind of celebrated because all three saturation albums were really well done. Um, okay. There's probably I can't say there's not skippable tracks among the three albums. That's just too hard of a yeah. statement to make. Yeah. But uh, as a general whole, uh, the saturation uh, collective trio was super well received uh, and really blew them up uh, into the into the mainstream as a self-proclaimed band. It... Yeah, yeah, I see on Spotify their bio just reads uh, best boy band in the world or something to that effect. Right, which I think is a cute thing and to do. I said, do. well, very... Yeah, I said, well, that's very informative. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that it, left up... a, it left an impression anyways. Right, and uh, they actually also met, I don't know if you read this, they had met on a Kanye West uh, fan forum. Okay, no, I I don't know anything about uh, the origins of the band or anything. Yeah, they met on a, a forum, and they all came a collective from there, which I also think is pretty cute. Um, it it kind of makes sense that these guys would be Kanye West fans when you kind of hear their emphasis on production and stuff. Uh, they're also a very diverse group. There's, like, a bunch of them. Uh, black, there's six white. guys, right? Uh, there's more than that, because they include their producers and stuff as part of the band. Um, okay. Yeah, in terms of like main vocalists, there's, I think only like four of them, uh, I do the vocal, vocal work. Um, Kevin abstract, Matt champion, uh, Don McLennan, uh, Merlin. I know Joba uh, has some big, uh, placements here. And I think some of the other ones will also, uh, come in occasionally and, and do some vocal work as well. But they also include well, like Bareface and Jabari Manwa uh, as producers, uh, Rami Hemet, uh, Hem- and I can pronounce that, Rommel, and Kiko. Like, there's so many of them. And that's why I sent you that little, uh, that meme when we were uh, listening to the album. It was like a, an interview, uh, like a Zoom call. And it was like an interview with Bronkhampton. And it's, it's like this huge screen of like 40 uh, pictures of Bronkhampton. Obviously fake. But well, yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, it looks like a like a company meeting for God's sake. <laughs> uh, right, the so, board of directors were meeting. Yeah, you know, the right. board of directors of Bronkhampton. So th- there's but, a, there's uh, a lot just, of members. Uh, coming on, yeah, when when you look at their um, bio on Spotify, they they have a couple pictures up, and it's of the same six dudes. Right, right. I but think... uh, what you're saying, I, uh, I which I guess are like the key members, but they sound like the type of band who try to forward a community mm-hmm. they are vibe uh, as far as the group goes they're absolutely. a true collective in that sense. right right absolutely um another main thing that is a uh, huge story point uh for this band is uh, amir van which was one of the main uh rappers and voices on ron canton uh, releases for the saturation releases uh, got in trouble for abuse allegations and left the band after the saturation releases. Oh, and okay. so Iridescence and Ginger were very somber releases and kind of like tackling with this. And in my opinion, Amir Van it was probably the best member. Uh, if not, next to Kevin Abstract, Amir Van, they were kind of like the figureheads. Uh, in my perspective, uh-huh. you know, yeah, people might disagree with me there. 
And so Losing Me was actually a big hit for the sound of the band. And so they've kind of been kind of like wrestling a little bit with that, uh, I think, in the last few albums. And But this album, I feel like they're... Um, I think they kind of show that they are an, a new kind of piece. You know, they've kind of come along and come to terms with everything that happened there. And, and that well, kind of hiccup. If you look at the album cover for Ginger, like I'm doing now, it's two guys giving each other a hug, which sort of summarizes or describes or imagines what it is you were just describing, like, uh, you know, people trying to get over something or coming to grips or something or, you know, some sort of forgiveness or you know, going through some sort of trauma. But this record does not sound like a transitional record at all. It sounds like a very, for the most part, realized project. Right. And to uh, kind of clarify the, the kind of importance of, of uh, Amir in the band's history, like you can see him on two of their album covers. In saturation three and two uh and maybe okay. one it's hard to tell uh, <laughs> it's hard to tell who that is so like <laughs> yeah. he he was a major as uh, part of the band and so <laughs> losing him could be dave used to from the guardian of the galaxies <laughs> uh so it's hard to tell uh quite what the difference was going to be um it was mostly still whole but you could tell that there was like a little dip in quality because he was one of the better lyricists i believe um but Kevin Abstract, in my opinion, is the best member or the most prominent member of the band and how he kind of like it features on a lot of the tracks and really kind of pulls things together and seems to be one of the better lyricists. Uh, not to take away from some of the other ones like Matt Champion and Dom who come in and deliver a hail, uh, hail Marys uh, in some of their verses and who really like stepped up to the plate, I think. And, and, and to fill that kind of a little bit of a void. Uh, and even Joba here, uh, who I think is the MVP of this album specifically, has um, really kind of stepped up and, 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 and kind of carried more on his back than, uh, than I think maybe in some previous releases. And uh, I think that kind of creates a more whole album. Okay, so you're obviously a pretty intense, even though you haven't listened to the last two records, intense Brockhampton fan. You know all the guys and uh, their talents and their weaknesses. Uh, As... I'm fair, like, again, I, I did listen to those three saturation releases, and I kind of read up and was familiar with them during that uh, period, and then I took the break after the Mere incident. Uh, I had I didn't really, I listened to Iridescence, which was their first with Amir. I didn't really like Iridescence all that much. Like there was a few a few things on there I really enjoyed, but um, I enjoy Brockhampton when it's more in its hype pocket, and as you know, just kind of like that that pop uh, rap uh, section where there's energy and like uh, engine rattling hip hop type stuff that you you put in the car and go on a road trip, you know and let the bass hit you like that was kind of the more style of Brockhampton I was appealed to mm-hmm. and some of the more sentimental stuff uh and when they reach into the more R&B pocket or some of the more uh, vocal heavy pockets I thought was they were a little weak there I don't think I didn't think they uh, wrote as better as good songs uh mm-hmm. than the other ones sometimes on iridescence specifically Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, in Saturation uh, there was a better mix and even on this album I think there's a better mix uh, okay. of those two styles 
It's curious that you say that, though, because I really like it when the band goes into the more sentimental and, yeah, R&B pocket. Right. And, and, and honestly, on this album... The band is curious because they're like this band that they obviously are playing with two different genres, you know, with rap, and then I guess you, you know, we'll just call it pop. Mm-hmm. And they're bridging these two genres together which is what distinguishes them as a band in my opinion right and and so it's always a gentle balancing act on every track you know to try to get it right yeah and then i found especially with this first leg of the album except for count on me the first four tracks it really goes deep into the more rap oriented tracks and i would say more conventional rap oriented tracks and i don't necessarily think it's a fault of the band so much as it is of the heavy features okay well let's, and, uh, let's begin with the beginning one, of the album uh, okay I want, I want to comment uh, one thing on what you were saying about the lyrics sure because um, the features aside on the tracks that feature just the members of the group um, I like the verses um, however I find the more pop oriented sections that are usually reserved to like the chorus or the refrain the lyrics usually always take a dive during those sections and i'm not sure what which uh, member is responsible for those sections but uh, just sort of being uh, ignorant for newcomer to the band i noticed or felt that yeah whoever was responsible for those sections uh, was not as was not as strong as the other members. Sure, uh, I actually don't know if that's like limited to a single member. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I would think it's more of a collaborative thing, but usually, it's Kevin Abstract who will voice pitch or something, and he will be the one who delivers the choruses. Um, okay. So I don't I, I don't know if you have an issue with the content of the chorus or the delivery of the chorus? Well, both, because there's also a problem oftentimes with the choruses. Uh, they use way too much auto-tune, which is unnecessary because the guy's got a good voice, and I would rather just listen to his voice rather than have it auto-tuned to fucking hell. All right, and I actually uh, wholeheartedly agree with you, and I think that's an issue that they've done on all their releases. That all uh-huh. That I've always had an issue with is their overabundance of auto-tune usage in certain areas. and But there are times on this album, and, and to your point, where they don't. And the chorus will come oh, in yeah. very very clearly and very well sung. Uh, some of the later tracks, I believe, more specifically. Yeah, and then when they bring in the auto-tune, I'm like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> you you had the sound. <laughs> like, you're ruining it. Right, right, right. There's a there was one song I actually mentioned to you. I wanted to talk about because I thought it was such an egregious example of that same point. Uh, let me just double check which one it was. Uh, I believe it was uh, "I'll Take on You." Um, was one of those ones that I thought it was yes. one of the yes. more egregious uh, auto tune parts. Um, there's also some that other scenarios the- where they do it. Yes, yeah, I think it occurs on bankroll as well. But I'll take it. I'll take. I'll take you on. Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'll take you on. That is the most egregious auto tune track on the whole album, and I think it it, it opens with uh, this heavy auto tune, mm-hmm. and uh, oh man, like I just. But I think again, it's um, 
and these are these guys are pretty young obviously they're talented artists but uh you know they they have this sound but at the same time it almost seems like the conventions of the genres that they're working in holds them back sometimes at least on this record in, in what way do you mean like well i mean okay let's start actually getting into into the record because it's goes to my point the first four tracks except for count on me which is track number four have really uh, famous features danny brown's on the features on the first track jpeg mafia on number two and asap rocky and asap ferg on number four and i found those tracks are the ones that are steeped the most in what i would consider to be conventions of sort of like a of pure rap like the themes of the lyrics are very much about you know like earning money being exceptional because you have earned cash they're dropping the n-bomb a lot um there's a lot of pop cultural references especially in the jpeg mafia feature which in my opinion is the worst verse on the entire record because it's just the there there are a couple good lines but he essentially just goes from one you know pop culture reference to another not that there's anything wrong with using pop culture for inspiration but sometimes it seems like it can be just sort of like a pool of you know topics that artists can pull from to serve as a crutch to cover up the fact that they don't really have that much to say right i think um but you know, and uh, just to conclude my point after you get past bankroll and you get to the light the band the album almost changes completely like a lot of the sort of more pure rap oriented tracks almost disappear and begins to walk this you know trapeze rope of pop and this pop rap fusion that they've put together and the album i mean if they cut the first four songs i think the record would be way better um i don't know if i disagree with you particularly um i enjoy buzz cut uh Mm. and i also enjoy chain on Uh uh okay uh, of of those first four uh, tracks, Buzzcut's the best. Uh, I I didn't particularly care for the third and fourth track. Um, yeah, and uh, Count on Me is uh, sort of a little bit like Dear Lord. Like that track is it's like poppy and gospely. Uh, yeah, but Dear Lord, in my opinion, has a, a more of a function to it. You know, it does, yeah. It does, uh, yeah. And where uh, where Count on Me just feels a little weird. I, I didn't even I don't like the kind of sentiment it had either. Is like. You don't even have to buy anything. I'll get it for you, kind of thing. And they're kind of yeah. like crooning on. And the song was just kind of forgettable. I thought of the four, first four, Count on Me was the worst, uh, worst one in my opinion. Uh, Bankroll okay. was fine, but um, just it fine. Just, it was average, yeah, just right. painfully average. Right. I, I, but let me talk a little bit about Buzz Cut, which I think is the, their initial single from the album. Uh, I love Danny Brown. You can't. Uh-huh. You're not gonna convince me otherwise. Uh, I love some of his lines here, where he's dropping uh, references to to incels and alphas and normies, and people are gonna dox your. Uh, he's gonna dox your house with crips and uh, stuff like that. And it's just like he's such a weirdo. Uh, that I can't help but uh, to, but appreciate him. And I think his verse is really well done. He's one of the obviously the most talented people on the album. Uh, I think uh, Kevin Abstract is good. Here, yeah, even like the the bridge is pretty good. 
uh, Get Out of My Ride. But it's like, it is a rap song, and there's a lot of energy, and it's definitely one of those songs you're going to turn on in, in your car and probably step a little too hard on, on the gas than you should. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, like pump up to it. Uh, I think there's it was a great start, but it was a bit of a red herring because uh, while it I think it is one of those uh, more traditional rap songs, uh, it's still very interesting and compelling instrumentally in, in the, the production. Um, but it doesn't quite um, really um, emphasize or encompass this album. Uh, it's not representative of the sound. I don't find any of the four first four tracks are, and that, and that's and that's the pro- my one of my main problems with them. Sure. Um, sure. At least you know uh, Buzzcut. My favorite part of the track actually comes towards the end when they uh, integrate the more R&B elements, mm-hmm. and then the way it transitions into Chain On, which as a song I don't like so much, but there's a really I really like the production on that on that track. On Chain On. On Chain On, yeah, and yeah. the transition between Buzzcut and Chain On is just it, it shows how the band balances these two different set, like the, the variety of sounds that they've captured, and uh, I thought it was really yeah I thought it was really well done. See, I agree with you, and it's really all the the work of this one small synth passage. It goes, mm-hmm. yeah, and it just goes through the song, and it's it just sounds so nice actually, and so catchy, and it yeah. really is the backbone of the of the track. Uh, I actually wrote a little a note on Chain On when I was listening to it. And it's also something that's going to come up later with Windows, uh, which is the posse cut track of the album. Um, but a Chain On is when I kind of thought about it. Now I was thinking about the importance of like... Not, I, I don't think anyone on this album uh, is a particularly insane lyricist. Um, mm-hmm. You're not. There's no MF Dooms here, you know. There's no uh, Billy Woods or any or um, or Mother to use a recent example. Sure, uh, there's no there's not like that real intricate um, rap schemes or anything. Uh, they really come alive with their production and their kind of their flow. And I was thinking on Chain On how important flow was because the the production on this uh, uh, on this track is very minimal. It's kind of yep. like it's got the same thing, and it's kind of got that head bobbing groove to it, and it goes throughout, and it's really the the way that everything is being delivered, and the flow that really emphasizes the track, because lyrically it's you know they're all, they're just kind of talking about stuff you know it's nothing really there to grip onto, they're just well, doing rapidly rap, but it's the, the flow and the personality that I think that pops the the track along with the production. What do you make of the JPEG Mafia cover? Because what you're saying is right. The minimal production, though catchy, elevates or makes the you know the flow and the lyrical performance a greater focal point. And so it was this track in particular in which a lot of these sort of cheesy pop culture references really stood out. I mean, JPEG Mafia, he cites Duolingo, Vine street fighter that's so raven and i that's just uh that's just the ones i've you know collected there's mm-hmm. there's a bunch more you know etc etc et right. it goes on um and i i think that's more of a subjective take on it like you're you're saying 
you don't like the references because it kind of feels like it's covering up uh, lyrical ability or content ability. In terms of like his actual writing, um, in terms of how words are flowing into each other and how he's delivering the, the phrases, it, it's really well done and, and he's definitely uh, uh, talented in that regard. In terms of oh, content, it's it's kind of che- cheeky. I, I and the way I took it is it very cheeky. I enjoyed the "What's So Raven" reference because how often does that happen? Uh, and then I think I remember there being a uh, a game reference here. Oh, Supreme Kai. That's what the other one I enjoyed uh, referencing uh, Dragon Ball Z of all things. Yeah. And, and it is it is like I, I didn't feel it was a bit of a cover up. I do get where you're coming from. Because in terms of content, you, you know, you're just kind of name dropping, right? And what, yeah. where, what does that mean? Uh, but it was cute, you know. I don't know. If there's a better way to, to use it than cute. No, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed the uh, tone of it. I can, I can appreciate what you're saying, but and 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 that's what bothers me a little bit because it sort of seems like it's a disingenuous way to connect with the audience without saying anything. Just by just by name dropping, you know. Uh, However, the the disingenuous it doesn't come up disingenuous to me because I know JPEG is that kind of person, right? That's his whole okay, yeah. Right, so he's into that kind of thing. He is kind of a nerd guy, and he has that kind of weird thing. His name is JPEG Mafia, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He, he's got that whole aesthetic in general, that like Reddit new new wave redditor kind of thing, uh, and so I guess it doesn't bother me because I I accept that as part of his package. Um, but I do get yeah. where you're coming from, and, and I think that's a bit of a, a personal touch. You know, maybe you'd rather him speak a little more, uh, uh, well, content-wise. Well, dude, dude, listen to this line. This is one of the sickest lines, or one of the sickest rhymes in the whole album that I found. Anyways, he says, "Used to get 50 views. Now they need Peggy's momentum. Let's let's check the addendum." He rhymes momentum with addendum. He's obviously got fucking talent. Right, but then saying things like uh, "slick with the ink," these melodies need Duolingo. Shit, like what the, f- what? Right, like there, there seems to be such a differing, uh, like a difference in quality, and he obviously has skill. And I just wish he would sort of go more towards his talent for putting together rhymes rather than you know going for the more cheaper tactics but like you said it's sort of part of his aesthetic which is not to say he's cheap it's just his art and uh but it uh, for me is alienating and i'm um i i actually think it's the opposite you know i think um well, depending on his references if you're dropping references to things i i didn't get or understand i think i would be more alienated but like I know what that sort of even is. I grew up on that. I know Supreme Kai. I grew up on that. We're probably the similar age, me and JPEG. So like we have similar like nostalgia. Uh, well, well that, yeah, but that's I, what I mean. Like he just banks in. He just banks in on that rather than like sure. bar, like rather than saying anything. Uh, I think it, I get that. Yes, you're right. I'm not gonna argue that. But I think the the value of like the charm of it and the personality and kind of like. Uh, you know, branding yourself as a, a JPEG mafia and what it is that you are and what you kind of stand for and what pocket you exist in. Uh, I don't buy, I mind it at all. I I don't yeah. think he, you know, I'm not super into uh, JPEG mafia's discography. Uh, I yeah. know he was got uh, released the album there a year, a year or two ago. 
that was really well received. Now, actually, EP two, twenty twenty one. Um, so I can't really speak about his history, but I don't know if this is also uh, just something he was playing with for this verse, or if this is something he's more uh, uh, sh like reliant on. But I think I do remember him being that way. That he uh, he does this a lot. Uh, yeah, if I can recall, and, and I can see why you would be annoyed by it. Yeah, and uh, like uh, I know, I know Danny Brown, and I know ASAP Rocky, but I've sort of turned my back a little bit on rap music in like the past half decade, and so there's been uh, a sort of almost new generation of rappers have emerged. You know, JPEG Mafia, Brockhampton being another example that I'm not familiar with. Mm -hmm. I have no basis in and I went back and tried to listen to some of JPEG Mafia stuff but it's just he's got a very obtuse production style that it, it makes him hard to get into I think yeah it's just it's, I don't know if it's for me yeah it's been one that I've struggled to get into myself uh, but I every now and then I'll hear something I really like it and it's just I haven't taken the chance to uh, sit down and digest a, an album proper yeah, and uh, but I think uh, you know. Let's speak a little bit to the features. I think the features on the record sort of drag away from Brockhampton. I uh, I really do. The ASAP Rocky and ASAP Ferg features also were. It just muddles up their sound. It sort of tries to take it in a direction that the guys then immediately redirect on the light, and then they, it becomes a far more focused project after that. I find. Right, right, and honestly, the light is the light is going to be a main theme throughout this album, and yeah. it, it is so dominating in its performance, in its writing, and its content that this album, the whole album, in my opinion, should have been surrounded and built upon this track and this story, and well, they do a half kind of half and half here. And I think it's it, to its detriment. It it does. The, the the thing is, after the light, the whole album, or not the whole album, but they re re return to this narrative, to this theme that occurs in the light. They return to it on the light. When I ball the light part two, and perhaps on other tracks uh, that you've read more closely. Dear but dear Lord. Uh, excuse me. Dear Lord as well. Uh, that goes into the light. I think that's I also part of it. Okay, yeah, um, but these first four tracks are completely removed from the from the idea and from right. the, the general theme, and so to me it almost seems like they put together an EP of features, tacked it onto the front of the album, for singles purposes, and you know they're obviously these guys are super popular, and I think people would be like, yo, what the fuck, where are the bangers if they didn't include them? Right, but it's. Like there's a little tiny bit of a, not a little bit, is a, a quite obvious disconnect between this first half or first four tracks, and then the rest of the record, which uh, is outstanding, really. Um, yeah, I think I can. I know. I think you're right, uh, and I think you're also hitting on a part that, in in my research, I found that this album is the the end result of like a, a few different canceled sessions. Uh, uh -huh. I think they started making one album and then, you know, everything kind of changed midway through. It's kind of uh -huh. the sentiment that I've got. 
Uh, the idea came halfway through the creative process. Right, and I think that's what you're picking up on. And I think that those are lingering essences of that. Yeah, now, yeah, okay. when they did Technical Difficulties, which was these uh, these tracks they released kind of as a mixtape on their, on their uh, platforms and then removed them, Chain On was one of those, and a few of these other tracks here, I can't quite remember, were part of that. And uh, they changed them around and, and repurposed them a little bit. Um, I don't quite remember which ones were which at the moment. I think Bankroll and Chain On were two of those as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of feeds into that idea for me as well, where I think there was a little bit of a, a Frankensteining with this album. All right. Light is the next track. Did you want to uh, do you want to start us off and talk about the light a little bit? Because I think this is the uh, most important track on the album. Well, the tracks like the the this track it has there's a sort of it's telling a narrative right like mm-hmm. the album becomes sort of very narrative driven with this song and it occurs specifically again on when i ball dear lord and the light part two and right. it's it's essentially dramatizing of of family situation of what seems to be like a broken home of i'm not sure if it's a single mom with the where the dad died or okay well let me give you a little bit back up here this is a true story um this is joba this is his story this is his father who killed himself uh fairly recently and Mm -hmm. he was going to he he kind of came in and said i'm gonna talk about this on this album and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people had uh, expectations that there would be kind of a light brushing of it because of the content, but uh, this this song is not a light brushing of it. This is a very in-depth commentary, and it is uh, taken very seriously and very dramatically, and uh, there's also some backing tracks later on that seem to be like the band's uh, attempt to uplift Joba in his kind of uh, situation. They, they all moved into, like, the same apartment when it happened, you know, to give them support and stuff. So this is, like, a big, uh, I guess, an emotional exercising uh, on the light for, for Joba and on this album. And I think that was the biggest source of uh, narrative structure or, like, a creative fuel that I think is strong enough to, to uh, motivate a whole album. Of, of, of songs and tracks and, and, and interplay and I think they like I said before they do a little half and half uh, but when they do and they focus on this story and, and Joba specifically I think they're, it's the most strongest and compelling tracks on the album yeah I couldn't agree more it's uh, yeah the album definitely takes a more sentimental and n- not even necessarily sentimental but melancholic tone like all of a sudden the light comes on and the tone of the album just becomes immediately more serious and he opens the track start talking about his mother and then he, he a lot of the relate um the narrative on these songs that deal with this theme as much as it has to do with his father and his, the passing of his father it also has to do with the relationship that he has with his mother and dealing with uh, 
you know, his mother's grieving process with her as a mother, her, him as her son, and, uh, you know, the expectations that were placed on him, how everything has changed now. Right. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, very compelling music. It is. And he, he gets just graphic enough in, in a part of this, in his part of his verse, to give you a punch in the stomach before he gets back and he, he, he just gets back into the groove but uh, there's a line in here where he just kind of describes something uh, I don't want to spoil it or anything for people listening but it was a punch in the gut and it really added like goosebumps to, to the listening process so I, I think that yeah. verse in Joba's verse uh, on this track is probably the best verse on the album uh, can you point out just what the verse starts as just for reference uh, it's when he gets descriptive Oh, his for uh, Joba's verse is the when I look at myself, I see a broken man. Remnants of my pop put the Glock to his head. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Joba, and that the beginning of that verse, uh, right until the bridge starts, uh, is what I'm referencing. Um, I'm trying to see specifically the line I'm talking about here now. Yes, yes, this is the the line that comes after. Uh, I think I will always be haunted by the image. And then he paints you an image, and you can see why he'd be haunted by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the track is very existential, and it goes into some graphic details, honestly. Right, and, and it adds to the power, honestly. It, it's it's hard to listen to the song without like really feeling for this guy. Uh, Kev, the the bridge is also great here. This is one of those uh, non autotude uh, like kind of chorus bridge sections. Uh, for the record, I can fly around the world absorbing light. Something missing deep inside the light. And, and that part, he sings really well. I think Joba's a great singer. Uh, and there's not uh, a thick of autotune on it. It comes off great. Uh, Kevin Abstract comes in after that. And he kind of like, you know, it's impossible to match the dramatic tension mm-hmm. of, of the initial verse. But, you know, he talks about like... Um, the fact that he's gay and still the strained relationship that he has with his mother uh, and how I, I think he alludes to that she still doesn't know his name um, and stuff like that and, and it's kind of interesting like they both take this time to kind of speak about some issues in their life and obviously Joba's got this grand one but it's not to undermine Kevin Abstract's own struggles being a gay man uh, a gay black man for that matter uh, in the rap game and so it's a very like uh, it's an interesting song, and, and it doesn't come off very like uh, somber in in tone, in, in, per se. Like there's still kind of like the production that kind of keeps an energy to it all, um, but it is lower end, and it does take time to really slow down and uh, get into more uh, substantial content. Yeah, it just seems it just seems more serious. Right. You know, uh, yeah, I said melancholic, er, melancholic earlier. I mean, the content of the lyrics are, but the tone of the song is, yeah, it's just, it's more serious. Not that it's not overly sentimental or anything, but um, right. But to, to say what you're saying about the the guy who was who wrapped the verse about his homosexuality, he's got a great line where he says, "I could take the hate and I could take the praise, and it's all noise to me. I'll turn into Satan." Almost like, you know, like, I'll endure whoever it is that you want me to be. I'm just going to be myself. Right, right. Yeah. 
I agree. Um, so that's the the core track, um, and then it kind of moves away from that, and you get into the second half of the album. But you said we're you're kind of like your favorite. And I guess you were saying early in the week to me uh, that you hated that you were listening to this album, uh, but you've made that kind of turnaround since. And I believe it's the second half of this album that kind of helped you make that turn. Is that right? Well, it would, it would start with the light, but I used to get fatigued on the record because of the first four tracks, and so I would make it to the light, and then it would it would be a good track, and then I was, the next track is the longest track on the album, almost six minutes, and so I would oftentimes I would pause it then and then just end up walking away from the album on a good note, having endured the first four tracks. Right. Um kind of shows a little bit my listening process is a little interesting too because I didn't always start from the beginning of this album when I listened to it uh, sometimes I would start at Windows and listen to the second half of the album and sometimes that messed with the narrative structure and like I didn't uh, the light didn't stand it to me right away because I didn't quite listen to it in order um, but once I did eventually listen to it in order but so I, I find that too sometimes certain aspects or certain parts of the album are too fatiguing for me so sometimes I'll have to start midway through and, and give a better digestion to some of the later tracks. And I think that was to this album's benefit when I did do that. Um, I, Windows was a track uh, that I went uh, in a few circles on in terms of how I felt about it. Uh, this is their Posse Cut, which is a common uh, a rap trope. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but basically everyone in the group you know comes in and... and does a uh, does a, a verse in their cipher or whatever, and uh, mm. I think some are better than others. Is kind of where I ended on this one, and I think the chorus here um, was a little uh, auto tuned as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, I actually I kind of was a I'm not a fan of so gone so flexy. Uh, besides the name is fine. Uh, I did think that. Uh, that verse was maybe the weakest because it was very uh, standard rap. It didn't really fit the kind of Brockhampton feel uh, of the poppiness of it and the energy of it. Um, is so, his the is his the first verse? Yes. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about the the features is that oftentimes they'll be the most vulgar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you say, like uh, sort of the most conventional, but yeah, like he's dropping, he drops a lot of n bombs, and you know, talking about thugs and slums and inner city life, and right, and, and it's know. just kind of like your standard kind of verse. I I didn't really pop to me, um, no. But afterwards, after I had listened to it a few times and kind of come to that conclusion that uh, it was really the the later verses that I liked the most. Um, I did appreciate this one a little bit better after listening to it from beginning to end, right? His verse is the only one on the album that kind of sounds like that. Um, he's the only one with this kind of like standard kind of like flow and, and attitude, but that kind of, st it kind of feels like the exception to the rule on the album. And, and it adds to the variety and ver versatility of the sound of the album. And I, I kind of came around, I warmed on it after. Um, there's, there's a verse at some point I think it's just before the chorus and I'm not sure who does it but it's uh, sort of keeps on saying fuck you all the time and uh, I didn't like that verse very much either but uh, 
I thought the flow of the other verses was, was really cool, and I thought um, it was one of the tracks where they balanced, even though, again, the chorus work was perhaps, for me, the weakest part of the whole song, uh, even compared to the verses that we were just bringing up that are a little bit problematic. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was, like you said, um, I'm not sure what you say, it's called a posse track? Yeah, kind of a posse gets... track, or like a cypher. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to say their piece. I, I like that they did that, and I think it. Uh, I think it was uh, like a good time to introduce. Like it almost feels like the album starts with the light, and like this seems like a good, almost second track to the album that orientates you with the band. And yeah, I agree with you that the album feels like it starts at the light. I think the, the light really feels like the the tonal the lead of it all and and so this going after light i think really works as well i agree with that um you, yeah you get to know all the characters of the band and their different flows uh, yeah 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 and they're kind of like their own little personal touches on certain things that they do i i enjoy like the go merlin go merlin yeah, like yeah, kind of yeah. a feel to it all and there's like yeah. this really good energy and everyone's kind of you know, stepping in and giving their verse, you know, and it's just, that's kind of the, the fun of the, the posse cut. Uh, I think, uh, I, well, I wasn't a huge fan of Matt Champion's, uh, verse. I liked, uh, Merlin Wood and Kevin Abstract. Uh, I became more fans of the So, So Sexy one or whatever the name is, So Flexy. Uh, but the, the one I thought was the strongest one, uh, in my opinion, was Dom's, uh, Dom McLennan. Um, that his uh, his verse, which is the fourth verse, if you wanted to reference it, I thought was the um, was the most strongest of them all. Okay, so that's the one after the right. Uh, yeah, after the course. Be a fortune teller or ATM. Yeah, it's got engines of its own. I can't even pretend. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 first I thought was the strongest on the album. Uh, there's just a lot of like more production techniques that happen um, throughout this out uh, this track. They kind of like it grows and it they do something here that I've never seen uh, posse cuts do all that much unless they do it. They either go all in with this kind of idea or they don't do it, but they change the beat and kind of the production for the very last verse. Uh, if I remember right, so Bareface's verse, I believe, he he's kind of rapping over a little more lo-fi, um, and kind of more interesting production that I actually really enjoyed uh, on the latter half of uh, Windows, and he's like the only one who really gets to like rap on top of it, and it's kind of like uh, I kind of would like to hear some of the other guys over this. Like, uh, I thought it was more compelling than the initial beat that was on the uh, on the track. Yeah, I, yeah, I can remember that they shift to a yeah, like a lo-fi beat, and and it's really good. But I I think it was uh, I think it was well done. Like, uh, I liked how they introduced it just at the end and gave it to the one guy to do the verse. Right, I, I think I, if I kind of liked it, but like I still kind of I like why was it done like this? Why is it changed for only one person? You know, it just felt weirdly structured. Uh, not that I totally disliked it. Um, I guess you were saying you didn't like the refrain uh, fuck the world and all that inhabit it is that what you're uh, referencing the one I was referring to was earlier just before the course sending a fuck you to it all 
uh, goes on a little bit, and then he rhymes, uh, and then he goes, fuck if I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, just the way that uh, verse opened. Yeah, it... I think that's my champion, um, and who who's really good, and he's strong on other tracks. But I, I think you're right. I think this is one of his more weaker verses. Uh, I wasn't a huge on this one as well. Yeah, it seems like it was a little more uh, like in the conventional rap pocket a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, you know, it's, they've got, what, seven verses? I mean, you know, they're not all going to be the, right, the best. That's why it's so long. And, and usually these the kind of tracks are, are long if there's a bigger bigger crew or whatever. Um, uh, I but I was going to mention... Like, uh, especially coming off of the light, it's got a little bit of an aggressive tone to it. Right. Which, uh, I mean, I, I guess so, considering, you know, the drama of the light, there's sort of a little bit of anger in this one. But uh, you are right. They s repeat fuck the world and all that inhabit it several times. Right. And, and it's kind of over this really lo-fi kind of aesthetic. And it really mm -hmm. kind of sounds kind of cool to me. I kind of like it, actually, the way that it's pr like the production on it. Yeah, um, the production, yeah. And, and and how it kind of sounds. I think it comes off really compelling, and it comes off like a, a little bit like a, uh, like like a lo-fi hip-hop kind of track, and, and I enjoy those. Yeah, we were talking about a little bit. Uh, I'll take on you because uh, the only reason I really wanted to talk about that one was I thought it was maybe the worst track on the album. I'll take you on. Yeah, I keep saying that, don't I? I'll take yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll take you on. I even wrote it down as I'll take on you. That's <laughs> um, but but it's just the uh, it's a bit too pop, a bit too R and B, uh, too uh, much auto tune on this. Like oh, there's yeah. some good techniques on the song, some good ideas and good like parts of it, but the core of the song, like the 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 string of it, uh, it was just a bit much and really kind of grating to me, and I, I kind of end up being a skip for me. Oh yeah, this is the most boy band song on the on the whole record. Right. It's, you know, I was you know taking the piss out of the first couple of rec uh, songs, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take you on. I'd probably go with Chain On or Bankroll before I'd have to listen to I'll Take You On Again. Yeah, I was. Uh, this is not one of the better tracks. There's like some good stuff on there. It's just too much crooning. And, and like trying to be singers where you know and then they're not all great singers and uh, the cover it up the auto-tune a little bit too much and it just feels like I get what you're trying to do you're a pop pop uh, rap and you're trying to keep a certain energy and a certain idea but the, you need to get a little bit better on these kind of tracks I think uh, it doesn't quite land for me when they yeah when they go hard pop uh it's yeah like if they made a whole album that was like this holy god it would not be good <laughs> right i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't be super into it this is like they get when they get into this kind of stuff i'm not super into it um, i think it's uh, you know like sort of the burden that the band has inherited with uh, the approach that they've taken because you know they always have to be balancing like i said and then this time they sort of let the seesaw tip way over onto the pop side and it uh, gets a little out of control. Um, after that, was there a song particularly that stood it to you? 
Uh, I did make a note about old news because old news they introduced uh, some turntable elements, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a cool throwback to '90s rap. Okay, okay. Um, and, uh, how did they con- they conclude that track also in an uh, interesting way, Mensch? Tell them to keep your faith to the sky. Keep your faith to the sky. Tell tell them keep. That's the outro. Yeah, they have a they introduce a choir at the end of old news. It's one of the tracks that actually encompasses uh, the genres and different elements that the band works with the most. And there's only three minutes and fourteen seconds, and not necessarily a standout track. But if you listen to it, it's got a lot to offer. It's sort of like the it's like a dark horse on the album. Yeah, I did kind of like skip over a little bit because I thought it was it sounded a little similar to the previous track. Because uh, they were going more in their tuneful pocket when in this uh, part of the album, and mm-hmm. um, I kind of took "I'll take on, take you on" as a this kind of like a throwback to Ginger and some of that more sentimental stuff, and then I kind of had in my head that the second half of the album was kind of falling back onto that, okay. and so old news kind of fits a little bit into that pocket. To me, it came off like a better "I'll take uh, you on" like a like a more whole and well done version of that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it like I said, I could see it as like a dark horse. Like it probably suffered from positioning for me because it comes right on after that, uh, that track. And yeah, it comes can... before what's the occasion, which in my opinion was the first of these later tracks in that tuneful pocket that I really did enjoy. Okay. Yeah. Fuck's sakes! Everything I just said was about what's the occasion. <laughs> okay, okay, very good. Uh, As the the turntable in the choir, and I really like that. Right, right. Yeah. I couldn't remember uh, old news well enough. I was like, ah, I remember it being like, "I'll take you on," um, but yeah, I was like, no, "What's the occasion?" Right. Was the next one I really liked. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'll take you on in old news. Are uh, you're right? They're both very similar. Shit, and then. <laughs> Uh, what's the occasion? Yeah, it has the turntable in the choir, and uh, I it's the track that I thought incorporates a lot of different like it's R and B, it's gospely, it's a little poppy, it's rap oriented with the verses. It sort of has the whole pa- the whole Brock Hampton package. I I wrote that it felt very American, and the reason I wrote that was because of the guitar that's kind of uh, yeah. uh, behind it. It feels kind of like uh, electric, like the the uh, I forget his name now. Jimi Hendrix uh, doing the America the Beautiful on his electric guitar, and it's kind of got similar kind of tones to it as it kind of fills up the back, and it felt very American. Is what came off to me. It's got like t- Kanye used to use that similar. I'm not sure if it's if it's an actual guitar, or if it's something that they generate through a soundboard, but Kanye used to use it. A similar sound on uh, some of his albums, right, right. And I think that was like a bit of a Kanye influence. And I even I even mentioned here as well that even the outro was very sweet and lovely, and the song popped a lot while I was listening yeah. to it. And uh, and it 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 it, it, it it's really like you said the Black Horse because it's the track that after Old News and I'll take you on that brought me back in like during my more passive listens when you know while i'm walking around the house or i'm doing laundry or something and listening to those tracks i kind of start tuning in a bit 
this song, like halfway through, is bringing me back in. You know, it's it grabbed my attention again, and, and brought me back into the second half of the album, and brought me back in for uh, the last leg, which is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and I really like how they uh, end. What's the occasion with the course? And then when I ball, I think perhaps the one of the most sentimental tracks on the album. Maybe it, you know, if you don't count Dear Lord, it is the most sentimental track on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, that tra- when I ball, it has this sort of sentimental um, woman's voice in the background. It's like a, a a harmony that they just introduce every five or eight seconds, however many beats. Mm-hmm. And then the story, it, it, again, it revisits this narrative that uh, is communicated in the light. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it's, focuses more on the relationship with the mother. And I don't know, maybe it stood out for me because uh, you know I've been here during the pandemic and I haven't been able to see my folks for a long time right, because right. of that. And the whole familial relationship theme really stood out. And they also incorporate the violin and the piano, and it has a real smooth R&B medley that, uh, yeah, really struck a chord with me. And also it has one of my favorite lyrics on the whole album. Uh, The lyric goes, I would be a fucking baller like those posters on a wall. A little stain could be the beauty of it all. You know, it's like this coming-of-age story, this Bill Dong's roman that he tells throughout the sto- uh, throughout the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, be- a beautiful song. Um, one of the things with this track, and, and I think it kind of talks about the ranges of sound that you can achieve with autotune. Um, this this track uses autotune, and especially on the chorus and, and and how it's delivered, but it's done a lot better. And, and, and it finds a, a much better pocket than some of the other autotune issues. And this is, this is I would champion this as like the proper way or an interesting way to use autotune in such, in like, in a productive uh, manner. And I would, I would point people to this track. Where I complained about autotune earlier, it's not quite the technique itself that I have issue with. It's usually sometimes of how it's implemented and how it sounds uh, on certain songs. And this uh, this track I, I noted for its very good usage of it, and its very uh, well, it's, well produced way. It's sort of it's just more subtle, whereas with the more obvious tracks like the auto tune just is so obvious, mm-hmm. and it gives it a very artificial and overproduced. It, it might be feel. better to say there's a voice pitching, um, which is a shape a type of auto tune. But it, the voice pitching is on that track, I think, is mostly what I'm referring to, um, which they they do a lot. The Kevin Abstract does it a lot. There's, there's times you'll hear some uh, voice pitch stuff, and that's Kevin Abstract, and, he, and it sounds nothing like him because he's pitched his voice in such a weird way. I'm not usually a fan of voice pitching, too, and sometimes that can be annoying to me. But if you hit in the right sweet spot, uh, I think it, it does well, and I think on this track it does that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the next song I just want to loosely go over because it, it returns to and is probably the best banger on the album um, is uh, Don't Shoot Up the Party um, mm-hmm. which I just enjoy the chorus on this like so much just like the it's such a morbid kind of sentiment 
<laughs> don't don't shoot at party, please. Don't shoot at party. And it kind of speaks to the kind of world that America exists in. But it's also done really well with the production techniques, and it's a banger, and it's so easy to listen to. And uh, I'm head bobbing the whole time. And again, pedal to metal kind of track. But it's still like it's steeped in kind of like a, a kind of like a commentary on, on gun violence and stuff. That uh, thanks. That uh, definitely uh, makes it more appealing to me. Yeah, and if it, it keeps in step with the tone of the anxiety and existential dread that uh, really takes shape on the back end of the album, or you know, from the light going on uh, going forward. And you know, these types of banger tracks, so to speak, are not to my taste but you know this is certainly a good song it's just uh, i don't personally go for these types of songs because uh, the production is just so erratic and it has really heavy beat and i think honestly the most banger part of the out of the song is the way they deliver the refrain don't shoot up the party don't shoot up the party the way they just um, like the whole collective sings it at the same time right 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 and uh yeah it gives it a real party vibe but uh yeah it's a it's a good balance between yeah existential angst and dread and commentary of gun violence in the u.s and still being able to sound fun if you're just sort of casually listening and right right yeah. catching the vibe it still holds on to that kind of like pop rap aspect of it but uh it it, it kind of has more personality and more more layers to it yeah, yeah. I thought that was maybe the uh, dark horse of the album, in my opinion. Uh, I thought "Don't Shoot Party" kind of was hidden there at the, at the end of the album before it really gets into "Dear Lord" and the light part too. Um, I just wanted to highlight well, it a little bit. Don't you think they could use this as a single though, because of the that "Don't Shoot a Party" just the tempo? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, "Don't Shoot Out the Party" could absolutely work as a single for this album, one hundred percent. Like if we were gonna cut the first four songs, like we were gonna, like we were talking about earlier, and just say the album begins with the light onwards, I would pick "Don't Shoot Up the Party" as like the the single of yeah. the album. Yeah, in terms of the latter half of the album, that's the that's the single that's located there, in my opinion. But like, I I don't see a lot of attention. I didn't see it um, as a single. Maybe oh, yeah. it is. No, you're right. It's uh, you know, the first few songs on the album all have like seven million views blah 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 on spotify anyways and then this song is um, you know still sitting pretty at 2.4 mil but it's not getting the uh, the attention as the other one no i agree um yeah it's not getting the it's not as popular it's the uh and then it's the outro of this album which is maybe the, like is super strong and, and it starts with a uh, dear lord which is a gospel piece very short um and it's sung by um bareface and and it's like this interlude almost into the final track by Joba, but this song is like dedicated to him, I think, in terms of like like Brockhampton's uh, song to him as a member. Uh, as mm-hmm. it just starts with like, "Dear Lord, Lord, will you come down and help my brother? You know, he needs you more and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I want you to let him know that he's still loved." You know, and it's just like this very nice and sentimental message that they they're sending to him 
uh, before he gets into his final track. And it's like this interlude gospel track, and I think it's a very beautiful moment on the album. Yeah, it's really well placed. And when I first heard it, um, I thought it was a response to Don't Shoot Up the Parody. But oh. then when I assimilated the album more and listened to it more, uh, I realized that it fit in with this sort of grander narrative of the album uh, that, we were, that we've been talking about. Right, absolutely. And then it goes into that final final track where he does the, the light part two and Joba continues to, you know, uh, pour his heart out. Uh, Kevin Abstract comes in and, and does the same thing. And they just, you know, they end the they end the album off strong. Yeah, it's a it's a really poignant note to end the album on. And I think it summarizes the whole mood and yeah, the whole mood of the album, right? Like Joba. Started... What did, Go ahead. I said it, it just it summarizes the their whole artistic vision for the album, right? And uh, it was yeah, it was a really poignant note to end on, right? And even like Joba's second verse here, he starts with, "When the hammer pulled back, did you think of me?" You know, and it's just like these these thoughts and stuff that are super personal that. You know, I have to commend him for putting it there to the public, you know, uh, for people to, to listen and, and, and for like people like me and you to dissect it and pull it apart these such these uh, emotional, uh, potent moments and, and thoughts in his life that he he's really putting out there. And, you know, I, I have to commend him for stuff like that. That's a, it's a difficult thing to be doing, especially with the subject. Matter. Yes. Yeah, it's a, a yeah, it's a, almost like a piece of confessional poetry or writing. Uh, it's a very brave, very brave of him to do. Right, right, and and I, and I kind of don't want to spoil the song too much or overly discuss it because I think this is one of those songs uh, in terms of content and lyrics on this album. I think it's better for the listener to go and experience it themselves uh, and really kind of like digest the kind of things he's talking about. And you know where 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 he's coming from and how it's performed. Uh, this album in general, I think, really is strong, is stronger because of those parts. And those parts are very soaring and high and very compelling. But there are some low points and some trims and cuts that could be made, and some lack of focus in other parts. But when it when it's high, it's high. Yeah, when the when the when the vision is focused, then the album is like you said is soaring on all kinds of highs. You know, it's reaching towards non-intense status. But um, as a as an album, it's uh, is a little bit messy. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the byproduct of having so many members. You know. Um, it, well, I think it's just the, the features is really what messed uh, it all up. Yeah, I, I, I can I can see that in some of the tracks. Um, I, I just really think that some repositioning of tracks and cutting of some other tracks and more tracks towards the more the thematic topic would help a bit. Um, I don't particularly blame too many uh, of the features, but I can see what you're saying. What you were saying, like you know, it kind of feels like they're shaping songs to fit the feature a bit and kind of took away from their style. That's right. I wish they kind of brought that the the features into their style a bit more, you know. Um, 
sometimes some people can struggle with that, but I think that would have benefited more on this album, and maybe the way that features were incorporated. Yeah, well, the, yeah, I mean, yeah, the features are one thing. I guess really what I was saying is that the tracks that have the most popular features, Buzzcut, Chain On, and Bankroll, have absolutely nothing to do with the artistic vision that is then later realized on the on the record. And no. so there's this weird disconnect. Like, there's nothing linking the first four tracks together with the rest of the album, which seems to be far more coherent right. in what it wants to do. Kind of reminds me of that Charm uh, or Charm record where we comment how they incorporated Bon Iver and um, Souf Jam, and, but they kind of felt like the weakest parts because it was outside the vision, right? And I feel yeah. like maybe Buzzcut and Bankroll and Chain On are a little bit in that pocket uh, because they seem to be more like um, tracks to kind of fit the mold of being on the radio and played in playlists and, and they will be and they'll see a lot of success for that but I think it kind of messes a little bit with well, the structure of an album as whole yeah I mean not to sound too much like a Marxist but uh, essentially those are the tracks that are going to fund the album uh, so then that they can actually go ahead and do their do their art which uh, doesn't start until the light and then that's when the album becomes great Right. And that, but they had to finance the album by uh, churning out a couple of popular bangers that'll be appealing to the general public. So, uh, what do you think is the Toe-In song for this album? Uh, Toe-In song, "Don't Shoot Up the Party" or "The Light" for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with both those. hundred percent. I think I'd agree with both those. Yeah, it's uh, pretty the, obvious. The Light is such a centerpiece of the album that I really think everyone should listen to that, and then from there would understand the album a bit when they go into the full encompassing uh, parts of it. So I, I, I would lean towards the light just because I think thematically as well and it being like maybe the strongest track but Shoot to Party also it kind of shows the, the diversity and variety that is also uh, present on the album. Yeah, and and it's a it's a fun track like you could put it on a party playlist whatever or listen to it in the car with your friends. Right. And uh, yeah, like it's something you can list, listen to with with people, whereas the other tracks are maybe you know, not something that is more, something more personal. But uh, I would honestly encourage people just to skip the first four tracks altogether and start. The album doesn't really begin until the light. If I would have listened to the light first, then I would have fell in love with the album far sooner than what I did. But I had to endure the, you know, convention the convention the you know averageness of the first four tracks even though you know they still have their perks too that we mentioned but right like they're not like dead tracks you know terrible or anything just kind of weirdly it's not like weirdly because i understand why they're there and what they their purpose are and i do enjoy buzz cut um but in terms of like the feeling of the album it just kind of they do feel a little misplaced and a little like a redhead stepchild you know it's just like an ep tacked onto the front of the album and uh, yeah, like we said, they're, they're fun production uh, cuts, but uh, and for me personally, I find some of the lyrics to be egregious. But uh, but yeah, sure. Um, I think I'm walking away from this album with the in the seven range, in the seven, seven and a half range of uh, of kind of feeling like this, just because of some of the messiness of it, 
not all of it coming together and a little bit of mismatch of the structure of the album is kind of where a lot of this is coming from. There's like one or two songs on here that I didn't really feel for, as I mentioned. Um, e the opening like EP thing, um, I do kind of agree with you, but I don't dislike the tracks particularly like Chain On and Buzzcut. I, I do enjoy them and I don't, I wouldn't really skip those tracks like I still enjoyed them to a degree the only tracks I think I'd skip are right there after uh, uh, I'll take a, a you on and old news was kind of like skip for me and can't on me was a bit of skip um, so that's where my negatives are coming from but the strings of the light uh, windows what's the occasion when I ball don't shoot at the party dear lord the light part two all those being phenomenal tracks that work really well together and kind of are the core of the album really raise it up even though there is like little chunks of the album that I could go without um, it ends up being like the 7.5 ish area for me yeah super strong 7 right right absolutely yeah. um, so this album's 46 minutes long and the thing is if you cut the first four tracks you're still going to have a full LP so yeah, yeah. You know, if they would have just cut those first four tracks, this album would be a solid, solid eight for me. Mm -hmm. But because they tacked on those first four songs, which, while having some appealing production elements, are quite middling and are, t as if we're taking, if we're considering the record in the context of the concept of the album, have nothing to do with the artistic vision that the band eventually goes on to articulate then yeah the album is going to be in in the seven range because of the disconnection it just really bothers me as far as the as the idea of the album goes right they're they're just if I, i'd like to give the album a better score like there's a better album here uh like there's like an eight or a nine in this album but some of the choices really kind of muddies it muddies the vision up it's a, such a solid seven, though, you know? Like, yeah. it's, such, it's such a solid seven. I just wish they would have released the other tracks as EPs, you know, those first four tracks as EPs. Then, you know, you're talking eight and nine. Right. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, all right. Well, we will meet you all again next week. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add here today, Zach? Uh, not about this record, but do you have your eyes on anything down the coming uh, down the ship? Do I have my eyes on anything? I've been a little busy. Yeah, yeah. I've been. I, yeah. So my my eyes have been kind of pulled away. I'm not sure. There could be something that uh, takes me by surprise. Let me um have a quick look. I thought there might have been a album I had in mind there was a Jeff Rosenstock uh, Ska Dream which was kind of like a, a, a spin on the uh, this is last No Dream um, album that really piqued my interest I don't know if it's worth covering in full here um, but it seemed cute and it's something that would interest me I know Conway just came out with the album but two back to back uh, rap out releases and I know you're not a huge uh, gangster rap guy so uh <laughs> Probably won't going to cover that one, but but in terms of what's coming down uh down the line, I'm not actually because like I said I've been uh 
uh, a little bit busy doing it with uh, stuff in my in my life that I haven't really had a chance to have my finger on the pulse there. But I know last month I had there was a bunch of tracks that I had singled out for future releases that I was really enjoying that I'm not quite sure when they're releasing. But if any of those come out in the next little while, that'd be phenomenal as well. Uh huh. Yeah, there's a. I'm looking just now at the at the release radar, and there are some interesting interesting picks. I don't know if some of them are, are full LPs or if they're just EPs, which I find is a little bit of a problem in today's current music landscape. It seems like we're getting more EPs than we ever have. Right, right. Yeah, like there's, we there's a lot. I remember being so many EPs. I don't mind EVs either because uh, uh, I kind of think they're in a, a the great length of time. You like I enjoy how uh, short they are. And I think the, they kind of get in and get out a lot of times. So I sometimes I enjoy EPs more than I enjoy LPs, but it kind of depends. Do you think? And I can see what you mean. They can certainly be fun, but do you think they're a bit of a testament to our shrinking attention spans? Yeah, that's also a, a tribute to the absolute uh, uh, oversaturation of the market everyone yeah. everyone can release music and there's just so much music out there that the game has kind of become more of a content and you know getting releasing and releasing releasing than it is about uh, holistic pieces you know so I think it's more about there's so much so many things for you to do on your phone or on your computer that uh you know, there's so many ways to get pulled that I think it speaks more to that kind of uh, ADD-ness of everything. And then when I seen Brock, Brockhampton, a band that I had never looked into but had knew of, and seen that in the past five years they've released uh, more music than some bands have in their entire discography. Oh, I you said, know, oh, I next is one of those bands that are releasing music. You know, just just putting whatever on a record and. There's people a, are listening to it there's a there's actually a point i meant to bring up uh that i had and i'm remembering here at the end uh apparently uh, according to uh kevin abstract this is the they are releasing another album this year okay and it's going to be their last album their last album why are they ending the button click i have no idea i i only kind of read a little bit of it in passing and you know you maybe take it as a grain of salt uh but this yeah. this is the first part of two that will be their uh, farewell, I guess, before they go on and do their own things, I guess. Uh, so maybe we'll touch back in on part two, if it all turns out that way, and see yeah. how see how they uh, see how everything went. Yeah, that's right. And Brandon, just a warning: there are some pretty cool metal releases. <laughs> <laughs> so just be prepared. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get a little better each time I listen to them. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I'll enjoy them a little bit more. But yeah. for every metal, uh, there's going to be a rap album. But for every rap album, there's going to be a metal album. I think so. <laughs> that's the the our dueling, uh, uh, dueling uh, suggestions are going at this point. Yeah, our sensibilities are a little bit different. But you know, one of something. It's been fun, you know, because this was a pretty eye-opening experience for me and uh, this is an important record that we listen to right it's an important record they put out i i thought i'm glad that you kind of came around because uh you were saying that you didn't like it early in the week uh, obviously you mentioned for the first four tracks 
And I was like, all right, I kind of like the album. We'll see. Let's see what he complains. But I expected a lot of uh, comments on the lyrics uh, to be coming up about, you know, certain the gang violence stuff and that kind of stuff that you don't enjoy. But then, you know, I was listening to Light and stuff, and I was like, well, this isn't this isn't the kind of lyrics that he would have an issue with. So I'm curious why he didn't like this. But as I see, that's not the case. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's, it was just, it, it took a while to, to get through the record. Like, when you listen to that Pupil Slicer, you, it took you a while to get into it, right? Yes, it did. Yeah. It's a fine uh, my when, place when you, it. Yeah, yeah. And, so some of uh, these albums really was, do take a week to really marinate, you know, for uh, on our listenings. Yeah. And, and so, if yeah, honestly, if we did these reviews on our first listens, I think there'd be a lot lower scores to go around. Uh, sometimes well, music would, is, it grows on you. Yeah, and it would be an injustice to you know the effort that the band put in, and it wouldn't be an accurate rating. I don't think. Right, I agree with you. Yeah, and but but yeah, it's been fun to sort of bounce our different aesthetic tastes and sensibilities back and forth because it's been very sort of eye-opening but like we've just been saying also also challenging and and that's fun that's what music should be all about yes i agree with you i agree with you 100 percent. i i enjoy when that albums come up because i do i do my best to try and find within it parts that i do like but even through some of my more egregious issues with it but I think most of my issues with metal comes from uh, not having history with it and uh, usually some of the more qualities that will emerge in bad metal uh, and not and then obviously good metal kind of alleviates a lot of that so that's kind of where I gotta find yeah it's a it's certainly a genre where you've there's there's a lot of crap out there but uh, as far as when I said I wasn't enjoying the album to you earlier in the week, I didn't want to specify what exactly it was right. that was bothering me. Right. But the message I sent you specifically was, I hate you for making me <laughs> listen to this music. <laughs> I had no chill about it. I was having such a hard time with these first four songs. Right, right. Well, like I said, I'm glad that it came, you, came, you came around the other side of the bend and uh, found some peace within it. Yeah, no, it was good. You know, I enjoyed this album too. It's a little less than I wanted it to be, but I also was blown away with some other parts of it. So I can't be too complaining. Seven strong. Uh, I would recommend the album to people to listen to them, especially Brockhampton fans. I'm sure you've already listened to it, but uh, uh, you know, leave some comments and subscribe and follow. It all helps. And uh, uh, send us an email. I don't know. Let us know how you think. 